Learning new things is sometimes difficult, sometimes it's joyful, sometimes it's both. I don't know how many of you knew that song, but now we do. At least we've heard it, don't, haven't we? And I love it. I love it. Well, let's get to the sermon. In biblical times, the term leprosy was applied to a variety of skin diseases which have been around for a long time. Archaeologists have discovered skeletal remains of people who obviously suffered from leprosy in the strata of 2000 BC. So it's been around for a long time. And people all over the world who suffered from leprosy or who saw others suffering from leprosy were aghast. They didn't know how to explain it. They didn't know how they got it. They knew that it seemed to be contagious. So they decided, not collectively, but individually by group, to exclude those who were lepers. In our time, leprosy is more understood. It is called Hansen's disease now, and it is treatable with a multiple doses of different drugs, and it's curable, and if caught early, its deforming characteristics can be avoided altogether. The Greek word translated leper is lepros. So you see the connection, don't you? Here in this passage, we read about a leper, a leper coming to Jesus, lacking medical understanding and diagnostic abilities in those days. The ancients lumped all skin diseases together because they saw how disfiguring and disabling leprosy could be. We don't know the particular kind of leprosy this man had, but it was disabling to the point that he had been excluded from society. In the Middle Ages, Churches near leper colonies were often constructed with vertical slits in the walls. And these were made so that lepers outside the church building could gather and by pressing their eyes to these slits, which came to be called squint slots, they could watch the worship being conducted inside. Our scripture this morning is a kind of squint slot which enables us to see Jesus in a virtual vignette as this man came to him 
seeking what only Jesus could do. Mark says this man is a leper. He came to Jesus and knelt at his feet. This is noteworthy in itself because according to the Jewish religious law, lepers were required to act according to certain strictly held protective measures. For example, as I mentioned, this man had been separated from society. This was required. Lepers could not live within a walled city. They had to be separated. And although the scripture says they had to live alone, they often found companionship and protection in the company of other lepers. They would find protection in caves or sometimes even in tombs. Lepers were required if they met someone on the road to identify themselves by covering their upper lip and crying, unclean, unclean. By law, lepers could not clean themselves nor wash their hair, which had to hang loose and unkempt. They had to wear ragged clothing. The ancients, not understanding the disease, of course, wanted to make sure that no one would accidentally happen upon a leper unawares. But the most severe issue with this disease was that people were taught generally that disease was itself a sign of God's displeasure or God's punishment. It was commonly understood and taught that God had afflicted them because they had sinned or had otherwise displeased him in some grievous manner. We can only imagine the number of nights this man, this leper, wept himself to sleep, asking again and again the question that had no answer, why, Lord? Why? What did I do to deserve this? As terrible as the disease was, it was more terrible still to believe that God had punished him with leprosy and he couldn't even imagine why. How hopeless he was in thinking God couldn't care less about him. I ask you now to use your imaginations with me. I'm sure you will agree that this man had not always been skeptical of love. Though he was taught God had zapped him with leprosy and God didn't seem to care about him, he believed God didn't love him, but, but there was a time when he knew love, surely. 
There must have been a time when he knew the love of a family. Take your place with me in the corner of his home as he enters from a day's labor and is met by the patter of little feet and excited cries, Daddy's home! Daddy's home! Can you see him as he stoops to their level and scoops them in his arms in a group hug? Do you see him tickle them in their ribs and they squirmed and giggled? Can you see his wife as she welcomes him home, as they embrace? He knew love. But then the day came when suspicions were confirmed, when this tingling that he had, this redness, this skin irritation, was confirmed by, the, by the, the priest to be leprosy. Let's remember that this was a real man. He is not a fictional character. He lived, he without doubt had a family. And on a certain date in history, there was the day that they said goodbye. When he left his home for the last time, thinking he might never return, there was we might suppose, and surely was the case, the tears exchanged as they said their goodbyes. So when Mark notes that this man came to Jesus, the readers of his time knew how utterly unthinkable such a thing would be. That this leper would ignore all of the requirements his disease made on him and would come directly to Jesus, kneel at his feet and issue a pitiable request. Perhaps it's worth a sidebar to ask how the man knew to seek out Jesus. Word of Jesus' healing power was spreading, and as a consequence, as we read a moment ago, it was sometimes difficult for Jesus to preach because the crowd gathering around him, pressing upon him, asked for healing. But to me, it seems likely that one day this leper met someone who would not be turned aside by his cry, unclean, unclean. 
This person marched directly to him and said, I too was a leper, but I found Jesus of Nazareth who healed me. And if you can find Jesus, he can heal you too. This fits the man's pitiable request. I know you can heal me if you are willing. I do not doubt your power, but I have doubts that you could love me enough to want to. The Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion or pity. We can see that, can't we? But would it surprise you to learn that the best and oldest manuscripts, at least some of the oldest and best manuscripts we have, say that Jesus was moved with anger? With anger? Certainly Jesus was not angry at this man, this poor human being kneeling in the dust before him. But Jesus was angry at the religious system that did this to a human being who taught him that his disease was God's doing, that God didn't care about him. Jesus was angry at such a thing. A system that made a person created in God's image believe that not even God could care. Jesus was rightly angry, but he felt for the man only compassion. Again, press your imagination's eye to the squint slot of scripture and watch as Jesus kneels in the dust with the man and reaches out to touch him. Again, those who read God, uh, Mark's gospel initially understood that by touching that man, Jesus made himself unclean, according to the religious law. But it is equally obvious that that made no difference to Jesus. In my own imagination, as I have watched this man, Jesus kneeling with him to be on his level, I watch as Jesus reaches to him. The man's forehead is bowed to the earth in shame. But Jesus reaches beneath his chin and pulls his face so that their eyes meet. Can you imagine looking into the eyes of Jesus, expecting to see there condemnation? but he sees instead utter love. And as the man's face comes into view, 
I am shocked by how disfigured it is, but also I am shocked because there is something very familiar about that face. For I recognize that face. It is my face. It is unmistakably mine. In the spiritual sense, I was this leper. The image of God within me was disfigured by my own sin, my rebelliousness and my selfish resistance to God's plan for me mangled the beauty of what he created me to be. And I uttered the same pitiable prayer. I know you can heal me if you will. I know you can save me if you are willing. And to me, as to the leopard, he spoke those precious words, I am willing. Be cleansed. And with that forgiveness, he began to reshape his image within me. Whenever I read scripture, I often ask, why do you suppose that this passage was preserved by the Holy Spirit? What did God intend for those who read it initially and all those who read it through the centuries? What was it we were to gain from this passage? I think for two reasons this vignette has come to us today. First, because like this man, we all need that healing touch of Jesus. Only with that touch does God's image within us begin to be restored and the sinful disease that disfigures the soul, that soul is healed. And secondly, it seems to me that as Christ followers, we do what Jesus did. That is, as we have been touched, we become willing hands of Jesus Christ, hands extended to those who doubt that there could even be a God, much less that God loves them. We touch with the love of Jesus Christ, those whom society says are untouchable, unwanted, unlovely, undesirable. 
Often they have been told this so consistently that they believe it to be true. They don't even love themselves, many of them. So they aren't surprised that no one else seems to love them. And they can't imagine that God would. But you and I, as Jesus' people, we have the opportunity to convince them that God loves them.